Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Believe in 76ers podcast. I'm Justin Grasso. And I'm Kevin McCormick. And this is a podcast dedicated to covering the Philadelphia 76ers on the Belief Podcast Network. It is a big day in Philadelphia. It's Sunday morning. It's sunny out, which is nice for once. And um, there is a huge game in Philadelphia tonight. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't even know what time the lot's open. Do you know what time the lot's open? Not at all. I'm sur- I mean, fans could be like just storming them right now as we speak for all. Yeah. For who knows. When's the last time you tailgated a Sixers game? <laughs> um, last time I tailgated a Sixers game, there was – I guess it might have been two seasons ago maybe. I think it was mm. before, before an Indiana game. Okay, it's a very random game to tailgate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, there's probably a lot of tailgating that's going to go on today because, you know, arena's been 100% capacity. And – um yeah, and it's nice out, so people should be tailgating because there's a big game seven. We won't get too far ahead of ourselves, but the Sixers did win game six in Atlanta, and uh, that was a pretty dramatic day leading up to it. Doc Rivers had his pregame press conference, and everyone wanted to know about the mood of the team. What was the mood of the Sixers? Because they just blew game what was it game four and game five. They had significant double digit leads and then they blew them both the second one was i think it was as high as 26 and and they blew that game and then doc river said hey the mood in the locker room is down it's awful it's exactly what you would expect but he confidently said my team's gonna bounce back they're gonna force a game seven and then so everyone wants to know all right well what's the mood of the team leading up to game six and doc rivers did not did not make it seem as if the Sixers were going to come out and win that game. Um, you were on the pregame press conference. What did you kind of make of those comments that kind of caused such a controversy on Twitter that day? I figured it was pretty spot on. I mean, how you know confident and emphatic is Doc Rivers really going to be before the game? I mean, like you said, game four, they were up as much as 18. They blow that lead and lose. Game five, historic downfall, being up as much as 26, and that happening on your home court. Obviously, he's not going to be this, like, super bright and energetic guy. But listen, from the beginning, even right after the game five loss, Doc Rivers said, you know, they were going to be back in Philadelphia. There was going to be a game seven. So I feel like his confidence was always there. But I feel like after the way the last two games have gone, I feel like his comments were pretty, you know, on par with how things were going up until then. Yeah. So here, here's the quote for anyone who, who didn't hear to read it. Cause then when sometimes when stuff gets tweeted out, it's like, you know, paraphrased and not everybody gets the full context. So I think that's what happened. I don't know whose tweet they, they went and ran with, but the full quote is, they're good. They're ready. I think our guys are ready. And that's what kind of freaked everybody out. You think your guys are ready. But, and then he said, but you never know how many are ready. If they're all ready, I could tell you that if I would start having trading cards and picking cards and playing tricks, but my feel is the guys, they're ready to play. So when you see, I think they're ready, but you never know. That's where everyone freaked out. And it, I mean, but it's, it's true. Like, 
how is he supposed to know if every single person on this roster is ready for that game? Yeah, I mean, it's not like he goes to every singular person, you know, are you ready? Like, And of course, everyone's going to say yes. It's like you said, you won't really know until you step on the floor. And they stepped on the floor and took care of business. So obviously they were ready, you know, Doc, all of his statements were packed up. Now we're here prepping a game seven, like he said, from the very beginning. So although the, you know, his pregame talk wasn't this, you know, kind of battle cry going into a must-win situation, obviously he got the job done because they were able to win. Right. Yeah. I mean, and it wasn't very pretty at the beginning. Like it, it was sloppy for sure. Like not everything was going the Sixers way. Ben Simmons foul trouble. Tobias Harris foul trouble. I mean, they had, what was it? Three, three in the first quarter, both of them. Well, yeah, they both picked up two early. Foul. It's crazy because in terms of, you know, back against the wall, facing the brink of elimination, that was an absolute nightmare start. Oh, it was horrible. They couldn't buy a shot. Atlanta was cooking early. Ben and Tobias both get in foul trouble. You know, you see, you have to roll with Matisse and Tyrese Maxey early on. Luckily, Tyrese Maxey continues to just, you know, play hero ball. I can't believe that, you know, 20 years old, first season in the NBA, first playoff run and an elimination game. And this dude is scoring buckets and cracking smiles on the court. He truly is one of a kind and, you know, just, I mean, unreal performance. A lot of people said it after the game. He really might have saved the Sixer season with his performance. Yeah, Tyrese is one of those players who, I mean, there's always young players that come in and they're always, you know, giving that whole spiel like, oh, I got to stay ready. And uh, no, the moment's not too big for me and whatnot. But like a lot of them lie. Like that's a nerve wracking moment. Like even just any playoff game in general. But I think Tyrese Maxey has proven at this point that there really is no moment that's too big for this kid. Like, He's serious when he when he says, like, I just got to stay ready and I'm going to be ready and I prepare for this and there's nothing to be nervous about. He's never nervous. I'll tell you what, the start of that game, every single Sixers player minus Furkan Korkmaz, which is ridiculous, looked nervous in the start of that game. Everybody looked shaky. Then you bring out this, this young kid who he said, this is my first game six of my career. And he just like starts lighting it up and he's just like not nervous. He's like, he's just fearless out there. And yeah, I mean, I, I think he saved their season because their bench has been terrible. George Hill has given them nothing. Shake Milton has given them nothing. Dwight Howard really has given them nothing. And then this kid comes out of nowhere and he starts lighting it up off the bench. And then don't forget, you know, Ben Simmons had his foul trouble too. So you don't have him out there handling the ball. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's a great statement that he did save the season because, you know, who else was going to do that? Shake wasn't going to come out and do that. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, he really was just playing his heart out in terms of guys that were out there and you showed like that they were not ready for their season to end. I thought Matisse when he first came in, obviously it was all in the defensive end, but I mean, he was everywhere blocking shots, stealing passes, but Maxi on both ends, just completely playing his heart out. It's almost one of kind of like that ignorance is bliss kind of thing of he's never experienced it before. So he doesn't know what to expect. And with that, he's just so confident in himself that he doesn't let it like get all caught up in him. And he just kind of goes out and plays. I feel like that's really kind of the mentality he goes with, but yeah, when you're as hard, at it. when you're as hard a worker as he is, 
it's easy to be confident in yourself. He trusts in his work. He trusts in all the time he spent behind the scenes in the gym every day, no matter what was going on. And it's shown abundantly. It's insane that even with such minimal minutes that he's played the growth in his game. I mean, he was knocking down threes off the dribble in game six when coming in his shot did not look great. And now, you know, it's more than suitable, you know, in just year one of the NBA. Yeah, that, that I mean, that was just such a great pick. And everyone said it from the from the jump. Like, how'd this guy even get to 21? Because I think me and you talked about it before. It was like nobody expected Tyrese Maxey to get to 21. Like, there was not a single mock draft that was like, yeah, Tyrese Maxey's falling even close to this. But I guess the whole, oh, well, his three-point shot wasn't great at Kentucky and he's inexperienced because he only played one season or he's, like, undersized. I don't know. This just – goes to prove the theory that like, if you got it, you got it. Like, it doesn't matter. Don't look at any of those factors. Like if you believe this player has it, then those red flags, those like, Oh, he's undersized, whatever. Listen, Allen Iverson was undersized. So I don't want to hear it. All right. Draft draft them. If they got it, the Sixers did that credit to Daryl Morey. You know, I think he hit the lottery there with him, with him falling, but whatever. I mean, he pulled the trigger on it and I mean, it's paying off. So at this point, Tyrese Maxey, I guess, does, it's so funny because I was listening to the last episode and we were saying, like, basically it was like, all right, just pick one. Shake or Tyrese? Doc, pick one. And yeah. then it was like, well, it looks like Tyrese is out. So then don't even give Tyrese minutes if you're just going to bring him in for two minutes. But then he comes and brings him in for, you know, over 20 minutes. So now it's like, all right, well, now don't bring Shake in at all. He needs to pick one. He didn't pick one the last game because he, he did throw shake in there a little bit. Not not for a long time. But I think at this point, it's it's safe to say that just have Tyrese. Don't put shake in there. And, you know, that's how they should run, right? Game seven? I guess so. I mean, it, it's funny because leading into this game, you know, I, through the start of the game, you know, just casually scrolling through Twitter and everyone's begging for Maxi to come in. And I'm thinking to myself, and I'm like, there's no way he plays. Maxie, it's a game right? six. Yeah. Like <laughs> this is the brink of eliminate. He's not going to roll him out there. Lo and behold, second guy off the bench was supposed to be the first guy off the bench. Doc told us that yesterday. So yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Kids fearless. And at this point, I mean, how can you not have him be the first guy off the bench again? He's clearly, he's proven now. He had a little bit of struggles early on in this series, but showed out in the clincher against the wizards back against the wall again. I mean, it's like you just said, there's literally, no moment that's too big for him. And with what he brings off the bench with his scoring, his energy, you know, even his improved defense. I thought when Doc said that Maxi did the second best job on Trey Young outside of Ben Simmons, I, I really thought it was a true statement. That wasn't him, you know, just saying something to pat the rookie on the back. I mean, he's not this prolific defender, but he's, you know, he moves quick laterally. He knows how to use his energy, nice long arms and stay in front of people. So, I mean, at this point, you have to give him minutes. Right. Yeah. And I mean, even with that statement, like Trey Young was lighting it up for sure. Yeah. <laughs> he lighted it up. But I mean, the thing is, if you're a willing defender in today's NBA where guys are just like, I mean, there's so many like smaller guards that just are like, well, I'll just I'll match them with my shooting. Like, we'll we'll just get into a yeah. shootout. Like, we're not going to play defense. So even if Maxie's like getting lit up, he's still playing defense. And that's just like that alone is like good enough. You know what I mean? Like not everybody is a Ben Simmons lockdown defender. Same with Matisse. Like it's rare to have a player that's like as willing to be like, I'm going to try and stay in, in front of Trey young, like as much as I can. And even when he was getting lit up, he was just kind of like, 
whatever. Like, I'm just going to play the next play. It doesn't matter. So credit to him for that. Also, I wanted to credit Shake Milton because we we have that, you know, theory going on that, like, maybe he's he's kind of got this jealousy towards uh, Maxi. But Shake Milton was fired up on the bench in Atlanta. And he was – he was getting up and greeting greeting the players when they were coming back to the bench and clapping and all that. So credit to Shake Milton. He was he was you know trying to lead from the bench. So so that was good to see too. Yeah, I mean we even saw that a little bit before game two when he had his heroic outburst. He was up, there was a point in the game he was the only one up off the bench. You know, kind of cheering on the team. I think it just speaks to the culture change. You know. Even if he, you know, there is some underlying jealousy of the Maxi situation or not, all of these guys are so tight knit this season. It really is such a night and day difference from last season. I think they all enjoy being around each other. I think they all want to be great. And more importantly, they all want to be great together, no matter who's on the floor for how many minutes each night. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, with that game, we we talk about Tyrese Maxi stepping up. Obviously, Tobias Harris. There wasn't much he could do in the first first half. Uh, his his night was frustrating to start because he got into that early foul trouble. Played about four minutes in the first quarter, and then he had to get pulled. Then there was a point he was getting frustrated. I don't. Do you remember that that one play? He was bringing the ball up, and he's like, him and Joel are like yelling at each other. Joel wouldn't move. Tobias <laughs> is telling him get to a different position. Joel's not moving. Tobias is like throwing a hissy fit half court. Like it was. It looked so bad. Like the the start of the game was just like this team is finished, man. But Tobias came out second half. He stepped up. Seth Curry. I mean, what, what do you even say about that guy at this point? He just like he's so confident, and I mean he's just lighting it up. So like those those are the three that that really came out and um and impressed. Joel was kind of kind of shaky a little bit. He uh, he wasn't quite getting the calls that he wants uh, normally. So after the game, I'm sure he's he's gonna get uh, a little a little fine in the mail after he uh, blasted the refs. What's your opinion on on what Joel said about the refs after the game? I thought it was spot on, but before I dive into it. I got to go back to the Seth Curry thing because I told you last episode that the the other Curry plays in Golden State and it's just it's even more apparent now after Game Six. But I saw was, I found was this, Steph at that game. He might have been. I because I thought I saw something like they showed him on TV or something. I wasn't sure. Yeah, about. I think so. Also, the broadcast, even with Seth Seth Curry playing the way he was, they still had the nerve to call him Steph Curry's brother. I almost mm. vomited into the closest trash can of where I was watching. I can't believe they did that to him. But I saw this stat yesterday. There's only two players in the NBA this postseason averaging over 19 points a game and shooting 57% from the floor or higher. One of them is Seth Curry. The other, Kawhi Leonard. Wow. That is how good Seth Curry has been this postseason. So but, Seth Curry is Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> might as well be. You heard it, you heard not, it here first. The same defense. Yeah, Seth Curry, Kawhi Leonard, same guy. You heard it here first. There's no going back. <laughs> well, it's great but, for the Sixers. Great trade. Yeah. They, got, they got Kawhi yeah. Leonard for Josh Richardson. <laughs> and Kawhi Leonard for $9 million a year? Say less. So, so Dallas certainly made a bad business decision. Big time. I think when 
I think Seth Curry scored more points in game five of this series than Josh Richardson scored in the entire first round for Dallas. Unreal. That is that is crazy. But back to the Joel stuff, absolutely spot on. Joel Embiid, heading into game six, was averaging 14 free throw attempts per game in the series. He didn't go to the line for the first time until the seven-minute mark in the fourth quarter. That is a joke. The Sixers shot three free throws at halftime. Their first – Joel Embiid was the first Sixers starter to shoot free throws in the game, and that was halfway through the fourth quarter. I don't get it. It's – he draws all the contact, and if you're going to say, you know, oh, you have to play through the contact, this is the playoffs, that's fine. But when Trey Young is getting every single whistle at the slightest touch every time down the floor – how can you, you know, how can you say that for one side and not the other? It was just game game six. There was a clear, you know, unevenness with the foul call. It was not called both ways, no matter what the broadcast or other people want to say. I mean, it's with a guy like Joel Embiid, who is so good at drawing foul calls, when he's going to the line for the first time in the fourth quarter, something is going completely wrong. I also like how after the game, because like he, I mean, he was so frustrated about it. One, he kept bringing it up. Two, last week, Joel was talking about Trey Young and, you know, praising him, saying he's got great basketball IQ. You know, it's like me. He can, you know, draw these fouls and kind of, you know, make these free shots out of nowhere. And then when he was talking about it on Friday, he wouldn't say Trey Young's name. He kept saying yeah, their the point, point guard. guard. Yeah. Yeah. Atlanta's point guard was getting this. So obviously he now he's he's mad that Trey Young is getting the calls and he's not. So on one end, I see I see the point. Like you got this guy who he gets to the free throw line plenty of times and it just wasn't happening. Now on the other end, I see it as he needs to get over it. Stop worrying so much about they're not sending me to the foul line because what did I say about game four? Was it game four? Game four, he got frustrated, came off the court. It was in the first quarter. And then from then on, all he did was complain to the refs, yell at the crowd. And he's like mentally checked out game six, same exact thing comes off the court before coming off the court, goes out of his way to go yell at the ref comes off the court his team goes down on defense on the other end. They come back. Then there was there was like a stoppage or whatever. He gets up off the bench, goes to the ref, and starts complaining again. It's like, dude, just drop it. Like, I get it. Like, it's frustrating, but, like, things aren't always going to go your way. So then they win the game, and instead of focusing on we won the game, let's just focus on game seven, it's still back to the ref's this, the ref's that. Just get over it at this point. Like, I get it. You're, it's not even. It's not, you know, whatever. But it's not fair. Like, it, the game is not fair. Just get over it. I agree. There definitely is some truth to that. But when, when you're seeing a guy on the other end who's also, you know, very capable of putting himself in a position to get whistles the same way you are, and the disparity of calls is that bad, you know, obviously it's going to get into him. We know Joel Embiid, he's always looking to get to the foul line. You know, that that's his game. It's what he likes to do. He's, you know, almost automatic from the foul line. So, you know, it makes sense of why he wants to get there. But 
I agree. At some point, you just have to realize that, you know, the, the flow of the game is just the flow of the game, and you have to focus on, you know, the task at hand, which is if they're going to bump you, I mean, fight through as much contact as you can and hope for the best because, you know, jawing at the refs all game isn't going to help anybody. Yeah, and I think calling them out <laughs> afterwards in the media yeah. is definitely not helping. It Like, you, you're already setting yourself up for a rough game seven if that's mm-hmm. how you want to play it. Plus, I also think during the game he has to just accept that quicker than how he does because, again, there was a point where he's getting the ball and then instead of actually, like, making real plays and putting up real shots, he's he's doing the whole, all right, I'm going to try and draw a foul. And then he's not getting the call. And then it's like, you just waste the possession because Mm -hmm. you didn't get the foul. So yeah. I I mean, is it a little lopsided? Like, yeah. I mean, third quarter, the Sixers had six fouls and the Hawks had one. That's where it was most lopsided. Cause in reality, at the end of the game, it was 24, 22, like Sixers had 24, they had 22. So it doesn't seem like that much more, but then when you see the third quarter, it's pretty lopsided there. And I think that's where he got most frustrated, but when that's the flow of the game, when you're just not getting those calls, just accept it at that point and move on. But that's the thing. They get so in their head about yeah. we should be getting these fouls. And then it's like they turn into the team that's just whining about everything. And yeah. it's like, listen, it's game six. Just like get, get out of your head. But it actually way, kind of worked in their favor. Doc even said it a little bit after the game with them not really picking up any fouls. The Sixers never really got close to the bonus, and since they never really got close to the bonus, it pretty much negated Hackaben for, you know, a large majority of this game. They only did it once. Ben Simmons only shot, you know, a pair of free throws. So, yeah. although, you know, it's one of those, you know, a double-edged sword kind of thing where, yeah, you would have liked to see them get more foul calls, but if they get more foul calls, do they go to Hackaben more? How does that, you know, downplay the, the whole outcome of the game? So, you know, you'll take what you can get if, you know, a little less calls means they're unable to hack a for a larger portion of the game. We saw in game five how, you know, it helped them get back in the game. So it was kind of a blessing in disguise in a sense. Yeah, credit to Doc Rivers, too, for finally biting the bullet and just getting Ben off the floor, too, when it when it comes to that point. Because, listen, he got mad. He got mad about it during the Washington series, which it was a valid question. And... uh I don't know. He just got mad about it. And then he started, you know, started taking Ben off the floor. Like he's just not making his free throws. It is what it is. Like we know he's not a good free throw shooter. You can't mask it. Everybody knows what it is. So let's get off game six. There was a crazy game seven last night, Saturday night. Uh, Game went into overtime. First of all, Kevin Durant with that shot. He's what he say. My big ass foot. (laughs) It wasn't for my big ass foot. I would have had the three game would have been over. I, I literally said to myself, I was like, Kevin Durant's going to hit a game winner. Like I, I had, I couldn't have been more confident. And then he hits the game tying shot, which is, I guess, unfortunate for them because that would have been really amazing to win, win that way. But game goes into overtime. Who did you think was going to win when, when the game's in overtime? I had to say Brooklyn. I mean, when you're talking five minutes and you just need steady buckets and you got arguably the best scorer on the planet on one end who was already cooking, I mean, it's kind of hard not to to put your money on Kevin Durant. No disrespect to the Bucks big three, but we're talking late game situation. Like, you need a bucket. Kevin Durant can shoot over anybody, can hit a shot from anywhere on the floor, and it really is the most gifted scorer in the NBA right now. So it was kind of hard not to put your money on him at that point. Yeah, that was unreal, but... 
Durant, I mean, he he got exhausted there at the end. He had that. I mean, he lost on an air ball, which is unfortunate after the game he had. Um, so the Bucks are going to the Eastern Conference Finals, and they'll face either the Sixers or the Hawks, who will play tonight. Um, so before we even get to the predictions for tonight's game seven to figure out who the Bucks will play, there's been a steady debate um, on Twitter about this season. This happened last year, too. I feel like until we're out of this whole pandemic thing, this is going to be a conversation. A lot of people are saying that the winner of this year comes with an asterisk because of all of these stars being hurt and playing in the pandemic and whatnot, basically. My, I mean, my takeaway from this is people are just upset because their usual casual suspects aren't involved. Like every, cause the NBA is such a, it's such like a front runner league. Like there's a lot of people that aren't even fans of certain teams. They're just fans of certain players. So they become a fan of that team. And since, you know, the Steph Curry's and the LeBron's aren't in it, all of a sudden this doesn't count. Like, oh, uh, well, Steph's at home. So like this doesn't count or LeBron's at home. So this doesn't count. This isn't the highest competition. So what is your opinion on, on that whole fiasco? I think there, there's a lot of truth to what you said. It's funny how the narrative became, oh, last year wasn't the asterisk season. It's this year, funny enough, because the Lakers won last year and now it's going to be an unlikely team this year. But, you know, I think injuries definitely did play a large factor in how things played out, but injuries are going to happen every season. I think if you really, you know, go into every year, you could say, Every season's an asterisk season. I mean, is the Warriors season an asterisk season because they had, you know, one of the best super teams ever with Thompson, Curry, and Durant? I mean, if you really want to make that that nitpicky argument, you could find it in every year. So I think winning a championship is not easy in any sport because of all the obstacles you go through, one of them being injury. We saw, I mean, a lot of people had the Brooklyn Nets as this this clear-cut title favorite because of all, you know, their their star power and injuries led to their downfall, and that's what leads to winning a championship being so hard. So I think no matter who comes out of it, you know, every team had to play through the pandemic. Every team was playing every other day. Every team battled protocol. So it's tough to say that it's an asterisk season when every team was going – every team was going through this together. It's not like the Warriors, the Lakers, you know, and all these top teams were going through something while, you know, the Jazz and the Clippers were going through something else. So, I mean, if you want to say it's an asterisk season, cool. I get it. I get the argument. But me personally, I don't think there's any, you know, nuance with this season of the winner. You know, it's tainted. Yeah, I just it listen, it's sports. Injuries happen. Like I get it. Oh, they happened at a high higher rate because of the way the schedule was set up or whatever. But like just like you said, everyone played under the same circumstances. Like the Sixers are, you know, that's who we cover. They're the number one team. We saw them. There was a game that the, the league made them play when they only yeah. had seven available players, and you're only supposed to play with you know, the minimum is eight. And they said they suited well, up an injured yeah, player. You got oh, Mike Scott's there, he can barely walk. Just put them in uniform. Don't play them then. Just have them on the bench. All right, you're good. You can play that game. And the Sixers had to play it, and they got destroyed. They played the Denver Nuggets. So it's like they're still alive. They're the first team. Joel Embiid's on a torn meniscus, and he's playing. So it's like – Danny Green's hurt as well. Yeah, exactly. Everyone is dealing with the same issues. Just because LeBron's team didn't survive and because Steph Curry's team didn't survive and I don't know who else lost that made them – say well this doesn't count 
I don't even know. <laughs> I guess Brooklyn. I mean, Brooklyn. Yeah. Just... But the, the thing with Brooklyn is all throughout the regular season, they I hurt, specifically yeah. said, no one can guarantee this team is going to stay healthy. Like James Harden has hamstring issues, which that can happen in any season. Like anyone can get a hamstring injury. It has yeah. nothing to do with a pandemic season. Kyrie Irving, his injury was his ankle. And that's unfortunate. Like he stepped on some, like he stepped on somebody's foot and his ankle bent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It can happen in any game. It is sports. Yeah. Like anyone can get injured. So it's, to call this a, an asterisk, just because the stars aren't in it. Like everyone always complains that they want change. Like, Oh, I'm so tired of seeing LeBron yeah. in the finals, or I'm so tired of seeing Steph Curry in the finals. And then the moment that they're not close to making it to the finals, all of a sudden it doesn't count. It blows my mind. Like you guys don't like change. Like this is refreshing to me. Like Phoenix is, I think it's awesome that Phoenix Mm-hmm. is where they are i mean the clippers that's awesome that the especially like in their situation like Kawhi, yeah it stinks that Kawhi is hurt because obviously you want to see them at full strength and it's unfortunate that chris paul is not going to play for the suns but the fact that it's clippers versus suns mm-hmm. that's such a breath of fresh air in the west yeah. and then you got milwaukee who it, it took them forever to kind of like get over that hump and everyone's like oh well they're gonna get swept by brooklyn now they're they're in the Eastern Conference Finals, and then here you could get the Sixers. Who I'm, I mean, no one likes the Sixers outside of Sixers. I don't even know if Sixers fans like the Sixers. Yeah. So everyone hates the Sixers, but still, they can be a villain, I guess, going into the East. Or you can get Atlanta, who everyone hates Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks too right now. But that's a young team. I think that'd be interesting too. So I don't know. I, I think this is such a refreshing season, and everyone wants to try and discredit it and call it an asterisk. Yeah, I mean, there's endless fun storylines. Even that stat that came out, like every remaining team hadn't won or like appeared in the finals in 30 years. Some had never even won one. So, I mean, how can you not be excited by that of this whole new, you know, wave of new teams that are up and coming? Everyone always roots for these young, you know, spunky teams to make a deep run like this. And now we're finally getting it with the Phoenix Suns, even a young team like the Atlanta Hawks. And everyone's, you know, like you just said, the asterisk season because you know there's no LeBron and, and there's no Curry like this is great this is you know starting a new chapter of the league this is something people should be excited about and just be invested in for all the fun storylines and the new faces that we're seeing in the bright lights of the postseason and you know in these conference finals and, and semifinal matchups and people people just can never be satisfied and that's really what it comes down <laughs> yeah. to maybe one day people will actually enjoy sports yeah maybe who knows Literally, like it, it's such a it's such a miserable thing. But anyway, big game seven. Before we get out of here, you know how you know how we have to do it. Game seven predictions: Sixers versus Hawks. It's a late one tonight. Um, who do you got? Who do you think wins? Who's going to the Eastern Conference Finals? I've said Sixers yeah, and did. seven the entire time. That I'm sticking with it. I'm not. I'm not gonna weaver now. It's Father's Day. It's Joel Embiid's first Father's Day. I don't think the Sixers lose again on their home court. I think the Wells Fargo Center is going to be an absolute war zone. And I I think they get it done. I think we see Sixers-Bucks in the conference finals. Yeah, and I, I didn't think they'd get out of game six. And they did. Um, I mean, game seven in Philly. I mean, I, I said it before. I didn't think they'd lose a game at home. And then they lost two to Atlanta. I don't think that's going to be the case. Like, it, it really was that game one. It was just such a bad start. I think they just put too much into the, like that DX intro, which was sick. But like 
It looked it looked dumb after what we saw in the first half. But then again, they almost made the comeback and and won in that game. And then obviously the last one that they played at home, they were up as much as 26. And I think it was just kind of like, all right, foot off the gas. Atlanta took advantage. Sixers came back, tried to tried to come back and close it out. It was too little, too late. In this case, if they get off to like a big lead like that, there's no like, all right, old school load management. Let's get them off, yeah. get their round of applause. No. Doc's going to say, stay in the game, foot on the throat, win that game. I think that I'm going to give credit to the Hawks for coming in and really not being afraid of like the, the Philly, you know, that environment. Cause like it is, it's crazy there. Like when you're the opposing team and every time you miss a bucket, it is like the place is shaking. It's loud. And it's just, it's, it's tough to win in Philly for sure. So credit to them for winning two in Philly. I don't think they win three in Philly. There's no way I'd be absolutely shocked if the Sixers lose game seven at home especially in a series where I thought they just were the better team, but they shot themselves in the foot. Atlanta is a good team and they took advantage of that, but I got, I got Sixers and seven today. Now um, I think we're going to see a bucks Sixers Eastern conference finals. And uh, I will revisit after this. <laughs> but we'll, we'll see if we're correct, but yeah, you've gone the distance with your, with your prediction. So I'll give you credit for that. You said from the jump Sixers and seven, you can win that tonight. Um, and th- that's all we got for today. Thanks for tuning in. Kev, drop Twitter. Kevin MCC NBA. Mine's at Grasso underscore. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube